0: Good morning. The theme of what I'd like to, to talk to you about this morning is living right with God and living right with others. It's a theme that comes through consistently throughout the Bible. And in both readings that we've we covered today, we, we see that theme coming through very strongly. So in the first reading from James, we, we hear about godly wisdom and how it manifests in action. In the second part of that reading in chapter four, we hear about how our sin can mess up our relationships with others, but how we get right with God. And in our gospel reading, we hear about how we live a life that's pleasing to Jesus by serving others. So this theme of being right with God and being right with others is one I want to just take um, out from each of these, these specific readings this morning. Two examples just to kind of show you how it's a theme in the Bible um, before we, we go into this text specifically. In Matthew 22, Jesus teaches about the greatest commandment and he says, love the Lord your God. And he says the second is like it, love others. In 1 John, the second example, 1 John 1 verse 7, we read, if we live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So this theme of living right with God and living right with others is a consistent one and, as I say, one I wanted to dwell on a little bit today. James is a very interesting book. It's a book that really um, focuses a lot on action. If you claim something or you claim to believe something, James kind of comes at you with, well, show me, show me, prove it. I learned of a very uh, humorous saying that Americans use sometimes, that a person can be all hat and no cattle. James doesn't brook that kind of folly. If you claim it and you say you're going to do it or you say you believe it, you need to show it. So with that in mind, let's um, look at this first section about godly wisdom. I think it's easy to think about it and to say, Who doesn't want to live a life of of wisdom who doesn't want to live a life of understanding and i think so often we find that we make choices that are unwise or choices that are poor you know we get impatient and we say things we shouldn't say or we do things we shouldn't do and we know it and we let ourselves down we don't we don't even live up to the standards we hold ourselves to Um, we justify our sin brilliantly as james writes in this passage we, we, we want something, but we, you know, we justify it and figure out a way to make it sit right with ourselves to kind of get what we want. So I think it's easy to know that we can, we can let ourselves down. But James says, here's a life of wisdom. And, and where does it come from? Well, if we start with Proverbs um, 9, uh, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it starts with God. It starts with the fear of God and an understanding of our our relationship to God. But James goes on, as I said, to action. As he writes, do good deeds in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's also in the text that he writes, the wisdom that comes from heaven. So what does the wisdom that comes from heaven look like? It has real tangible results in our relationships with others. It's pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy, it bears good fruit, it's impartial, and it's sincere. So when we have the wisdom from God that comes by His Holy Spirit, it changes how we relate to others. And further, as James writes, peacemakers raise a harvest of righteousness. So how we live when we have God's wisdom brings others to him. In the next section of the reading from James, the tack changes slightly and this theme of living right with God and others is still there but almost in reverse order. James starts by writing about um, our sinful motives and desires and he writes, he, he writes with really strong words. He points out uh, very strong sinful motives and sinful actions that wreak havoc with our interpersonal relationships. He talks about everything from fights and quarrels to murder and covetousness. And it's quite a wide spectrum, but there it is in the Bible. He writes also that when we're blinded by our sin, we don't even think to ask God for what we need, rather focusing on those, gratifying those those, um, wrong and sinful desires. And even if we did, perchance, think, as James writes, to ask God, we ask with a bad motive or a wrong motive. And God would never answer that sinful desire. He would never gratify it, because if he did, we would just consistently live further and further away from him. He loves us too much, and he has something so much better for all of us than gratifying what we think we need. I think when we hear a list of sins written in the Bible like this, We can, as the saying goes, fall off the horse on both sides. Firstly, when we hear it, we can think, sure, that's that's a heavy list of sin. But kind of in our minds think, well, that applies to someone else, some other person, someone ill-defined and amorphous, but someone else. But when we read it, James is writing to, to us. He's writing to me. The other problem that we can have is that we can often feel condemned or far from God. But I think in a moment we'll read about, or hear about, God's mercy. So when James has written about these sinful motives and the results of them in our relationships with others, he gives us very quick guidance about how to get right with God. And his simple instruction is submit to God. Submit to God. What do we submit to? God's will. God's authority, and God's way of getting back right with him. So God has made that way. He has made that wonderful way of getting right with him, and it's his way. And here, here the wonder of it is, that when we come to Jesus, Jesus does this yours for mine switch. He says, I'll take your sin, and I'll give you my righteousness. So I take away from you what offends God, and I'll give you what pleases God. We get back right with God. So in our response to sin, we come to God, we say sorry, we acknowledge that what He says is best, we acknowledge that His way is right, and we acknowledge that we need Him and His peace. We can try and chase other things, we can try try and chase a way of earning some kind of approval from others. We can try and chase some false idea of contentment. But what James is saying is submit to God. It's his way. And it's freely available. And it's the best way. It's a posture that sets up right as creature to creator, submitting to him. A little further on we read James instructing us to come near to God and he will come near to you. And when I was reading the passage, it struck me straight away that, well, it it reads as though we need to walk kind of 50% of the way to God, and God will walk the other 50%, and we kind of meet in the middle. And as I thought about it, I thought, that view is totally inconsistent with the rest of Scripture, because if we read Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And if we read, um, sorry, excuse me one second. And if we read in Ephesians 2, Paul says that our salvation is a gift alone. We do nothing to contribute to it. It is by God's grace alone. So we don't walk the 50%. God walks all the way. And so this idea of coming near to God is really when we decide to turn to God and we turn to him, he's right there accepting us where we are and as we are, as we turn to him. Just one more point before we move on from this reading in James. James instructs us to submit to God and to resist the devil. And I think in, in thinking of through this idea of resisting the devil, I thought there were really three conditions, almost conditions precedent to resisting that I think worth drawing out. The first is that, as we have just noted, we submit to God. The second is that we should have a knowledge of God's word in resisting the devil. And the reason I say that is simply Jesus' example when he was tempted in the desert that he quoted from scripture to resist the devil. And thirdly, we should have no patience for sin in our lives. There should be that active resistance. And as Jesus taught us, we should be dealing very ruthlessly with sin. our lives and getting rid of it. We are more sinful than we think, and God is more holy than we often realize, but his mercy is greater than all of our sin, and his grace is for us. Moving on to the reading in Mark, we see this theme come through again. That Jesus instructs his disciples how to live in a way that pleases him. So, What is a life that Jesus esteems? What is a life that Jesus commends? If you want to be first you must be last and servant of all so in a sense jesus is simply instructing his disciples to live exactly like he did to serve others and to love them and to give his life away in love and what was really interesting is as james is a book of actions so jesus follows on his lesson with an action and he brings a child into the room and he gives the child a big hug and he says if you welcome children like like this you're welcoming me and you're welcoming my Father. And I took from that the, the lesson that greatness, you know, we can often think of in sort of earthly terms as we accumulate wealth or we accumulate influence or we make ourselves comfortable or we have rich and famous friends or we know some aristocrat or politician or somebody famous. But Jesus, I think, in this example is saying, love the people who need to be loved, who are right in front of you. Cherish and nurture the people who need cherish and nurturing and loving right in front of you. The people in your daily life, the people in your house, the people you encounter every day. Not seeking out the great and the good, the people right in front of you. Love them and love them practically. So as I've noted, three kind of sections and two readings about living right with God and living right with others. I think almost all of what I've wanted to say today is really summarized in the poem that Paul writes in the letter to the Philippians, found in chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Thank you.